Good morning, this is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to talk to you today about the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is a very strange subject. St. Paul, when he was talking to some of the earliest Christians in Corinth, said this, I preach one thing, Christ and Him crucified. That's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. That's Paul's shorthand way of saying, here's something that nobody understands. Here's something that the whole world finds strange. I think unless we are unnerved by the cross of Christ, unless we're deeply bothered, confused by it, unless we shake our heads in wonder at it, we don't entirely get it. The cross of Jesus turns everything upside down. It's the reversal of all of our values, the reversal of all of our expectations. Let me get at it this way. Suppose I were to ask parents or grandparents who are listening, what is your image of success for your son, for your daughter, for your grandson? Wouldn't you say something like this? Well, I'd like him to go to a fine school, get an advanced degree, become a doctor, a lawyer, become an important member of a business firm, rise up through the hierarchy, and at the height of his career, to be well-respected by his peers, to have titles, privilege, position, to be surrounded by material things and comfort? Wouldn't most of us say, yeah, that's the image of success. That's what we want for our children, our grandchildren. And suppose I were to say to you, in fact, this is what will happen to your son. He will never attend a great university. He'll never have an advanced degree or title. He'll never be a respected professional, never be revered by his peers. And in fact, at the end of his life, he will be arrested. He will be condemned by both church and state. He'll be abandoned by his friends, betrayed by those closest to him, and he'll be left to die alone on a terrible instrument of torture. Well, if we're honest, we'd say, that's just about the nightmare scenario. That is the last thing I'd ever want for anyone that I love. Yet, Christians, that's precisely the scenario played out by the Son of God. When Paul says, I preach one thing, Christ and Him crucified, he points to this scandal this oddity, this stumbling block. And he says, this is the face of God and this is the face of humanity 
at its most successful. Thomas Aquinas said this, Do you want success in your life? There's a very simple formula. Love what Jesus loved on the cross. Despise what Jesus despised on the cross. What did he despise? Now hold him in your mind. Hold Christ crucified in your mind's eye. What did he despise? Wealth, privilege, honor, the esteem of others, comfort, success. Almost everything we hold dearest, he despised on the cross. And what did he love on the cross? Doing the will of his Father. Forgiving his enemies. Pouring out his life, yes, even to the point of death. Success, that's success. Not the things that the world holds up to us, but rather what God holds up to us. Doing the will of the Father in love, that is the successful life. You see what I mean now when I said this is a very strange and very countercultural message. It was 2,000 years ago. It is today. That we who worship a crucified God, that we who reverence the cross of Jesus have become mainstream, that's the real mystery. We Christians who reverence the cross of Jesus ought to be a strange and unnerving and disturbing community. That's Paul's message. Now, how can we make more sense of this? How can this seem a little bit more reasonable? Well, listen now to Paul as he writes to the Philippians. For many, as I have told you, and now tell you even in tears, conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are wonderful words and very illuminating words. What's the trouble with the church that he's addressing? The same trouble with our church. We have become enemies of the cross of Christ. We have begun to reverence the things too much that Jesus despised on the cross. We've begun, as Paul says here so vividly, to worship the stomach, to worship sensual pleasure, to worship earthly things. Now, are these bad? Well, no. I talked about it when I mentioned the seven deadly sins a few weeks ago. These aren't bad things in themselves. But when they are worshipped, they become very bad. When they are the center of our lives, then we are undermined spiritually. Paul tells us very clearly, we have our citizenship in heaven. Christians, that's a line that the early church fathers loved. They repeated it over and over again. They often spoke of heaven as the patria. That means the homeland. The homeland. 
We are residents here on earth, yes. We experience the pleasures and goods of the earth, yes. But, as the early church fathers said, we are resident aliens here. We reside, but our homeland is not here. Rather, our eyes and our minds and our hearts are fixed upon a world and goods and values beyond this one. Our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't this precisely what we see in that wonderful account of the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John are led up on the holy mountain. And in the course of their ordinary lives, suddenly they see it. Suddenly, breaking through the ordinary is the glory that is our destiny. And while Jesus was praying, his face changed in appearance, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were conversing with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. There is the breakthrough of heaven. There they see it. Master, it is good that we are here. Peter gets a glimpse of what the ultimate goal is. And at that moment he realizes that we must not be lovers of earthly things, but our eyes must be fixed on this glorious goal. You know that theme of resident alien? I like that so much because at one point in my life, I was a resident alien. I studied over in Paris for my doctorate in theology. And while I was there, I had a resident alien card permitted me to stay in France for those three years. But of course, it wasn't French citizenship. Well, I loved France. I loved being there. I loved the culture, the history, the people. I tried my best to learn the language and to fit in. And I loved it. But I always knew that I was coming home. I always knew I wasn't destined to stay in France. I was living there, but as a resident alien. This is precisely how we ought to live in this world. Do we love it? Sure. Do we reverence what's good in it? Of course. But Christians, we don't live here permanently. Our citizenship is somewhere else. Here's the spiritual lesson, I think. We must wear this world lightly. Do you see what I mean? When we cling to the things of this world, honor and fame and pleasure and everything else, then we get off the rails spiritually. Reverence, love these things, sure, enjoy them, but don't cling to them. Don't grasp at them, but rather wear them lightly as you do grasp at and look toward the heavenly goal. Here's something from G.K. Chesterton that I love. When he was a young man, he was an atheist. Didn't believe in God. And so he convinced himself, I must find my joy in this world. Now what was the upshot for Chesterton? He said, as long as I believe that, I was never happy. He was clinging to the things of this world, hoping to find in them ultimate happiness. 
But then he said, I became a Christian. I began to believe in God. And then I knew I am not meant to find my ultimate happiness here in the goods of the world. And in that moment, he said, he began to enjoy the world. Isn't that wonderful? It's a paradox, but you can see it. When he wore this world lightly and didn't expect too much from it, then he began really to enjoy it. The saints are not those who hate the world. In fact, the saints are those who love it properly. Those who think this is it, they end up despising the world. That's that wonderful paradox from Chesterton. It's always struck me, always helped me spiritually. How about one last thought? Some people might be listening to these words and say, you know, it's a little bit dangerous. Look into heaven, kind of glorifying in the cross of Jesus. Doesn't that move us away from this world, make us despisers of it? Listen to atheists like Karl Marx or Sigmund Freud. They make a similar argument that religious people, inasmuch as they look beyond this world, allow this world to become a place of suffering and injustice. Christians, I think the last century proves precisely the opposite. Who were the people in the 20th century who wreaked havoc on the earth? They were not those who believed in heaven. Just the contrary. Those who wreaked havoc on the earth in the 20th century, the Stalins and the Hitlers and the Maos and the Pol Pots, they were precisely the ones who forgot about heaven and clung so much to this world and looked for salvation in it that they wreaked havoc on this earth. Who were those who benefited the earth most? The Gandhis and the Martin Luther Kings, the Dorothy Days, the John Paul II's, precisely those who looked to heaven. They were the ones who did most good on the earth. When we don't fall in love with the world, then we truly love it and truly enjoy it. When we look to heaven, then we love the world appropriately. Christians, we must all become reverencers of the cross of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.